Hello. Welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja. And this video, this conversation is one of those occasional ramblings that I offer you, which are partially philosophical or reflective, but not necessarily purely educational. So if those things don't appeal to you, you know, you can check out right now. But if you would like to hear me out, let's talk. So I was just recently watching a lecture by Don Norman, who is the, you know, father or grandfather of what we call design thinking, right? He coined the term user-centered design, right? And he now calls it human-centered design. So this is someone who is a huge name in design thinking and in programming worlds and in user research world, right? User experience research world. And I really love his ideas and I'm currently reading his book, The Design of Everyday Thing, Things. I highly recommend it. I'll post a link in the description. And in his interview, or it was rather a webinar, he is asked about how can designers have more influence in a world which is controlled by, of course, those who own the mode of production. And one of his suggestions is, which I partially agree with, is that designers should try to move upwards and become part of the decision-making group. This is something that we always do in our faculty meetings too, right? That faculty should become part of the administration. And our idea is that somehow when they are in the positions of power, they'll make policies that will take into account the needs of the students and the faculty. That is what we believe, right? And I think that's exactly what Don Norman also is suggesting that if more and more designers are in decision-making, places in different companies, corporations, then they can impact the world because they won't just be designing as someone wants them to, they will actually be trying to solve the problems, right? Because at the core of his argument is that design thinking, thinking of the world as a system and within that smaller systems and, and, and looking for underlying causes of symptomatic problems, right? hunger and everything else, that the design teams or designers are better equipped to do that because they are not specialists, right? But they are focused on the problem end of the question because their motivation comes from the people that they are trying to serve, right? Whether it's for profit or just to make the world better. And I really loved that he, you know, a senior scholar and practitioner of design uh, is actually has made it a mission to argue for this. But here is my own understanding of this in the academy, but also in life. I think we can do that. We can rise up and maybe change the system from the top. But remember, in the process of rising up in any given organization or any given system, there are compromises that we make. We have to conform to the system. 
so that we are not a threat to it, right? We have to learn to survive in it, right? In any given place, it takes 20 to 25 years to reach the executive positions. The problem is that by the time we get to that point, we have already made so many compromises that we somehow always become part of the system and start seeing the world from the top and forget about where we came from. This has been a great philosophical problem. In Muslim history, for example, I think it was from the, from the Abbasid Empire, there was a powerful wazir, right? One of the most powerful ministers of the caliph. And every day, you know, around two o'clock, and this is an apocryphal story, this is not a factual historical story, but the mythology is important, right? Uh, he would retire into a small room for about an hour and then come back and join the court and everything else. And, you know, after a while, people started pointing to it. What does he do in there? Why does he go in there? And it was reported to the caliph, of course. An investigation was launched. So finally, he takes those people to that room. And there is nothing in there except for a few rags which look like a costume, a tunic that someone might have worn, some really shabby-looking sandals, and a few other things. And people asked him, what is this? And he's like, this is what I wore when I came to Baghdad. This was all I owned, material things. So every day when I'm dealing with power, Right? I come back to this room once a day to remind myself that this is where I came from. Right? Now, obviously, we all cannot have a room like that, right? But we should take 20, 30 minutes, wherever we are, in whatever powerful position we, we might be, to remember how we got here, who helped us. Where were our loyalties when we started? Who were our people, right? And maybe that would inculcate in us this habit, this self-reflection, which reminds us that when we made this decision to rise in this system, the purpose was to change the system, to make it fair, to make it, make it egalitarian, to make it about saving the world, doing great things in the world, right? Because without that memory, Without that reminder, chances are, as all systems do, the system, whichever it is, will incorporate you within its logic. So anecdotally, like the myth that I told you, the story is a good story to remember, but then create maybe a symbolic memory of where you came from, right? Or what your aspirations were when you were young, when you were starting. Another writer and practitioner who can help us think through this is Paulo Freire. Okay? What Freire teaches us that our actions in the world need to be connected in solidarity with other human beings. Not the human beings who have power, but those who are powerless, those who are silenced. And that if we remember that our project in life is 
to speak with the oppressed, right? To keep our loyalties with them, to keep those who are overworked, contingent, faculty, whatever, right? Wherever you are. Then, chances are that we'll constantly keep retraining ourselves into our priorities, right? We'll stay focused on what we had set out to do, right? To help people. To not tell them this is how things are done, right? So, it's not a deeply philosophical way of thinking of it, but this is how I remember where I came from. This is how I always deal with things, right? If a student sends me a question, I remember how I felt as an international student. If someone from across the world sends me a message, I put myself in their shoes. And remember, this is part of design thinking. This is part of user experience research, empathy. Cognitive empathy, putting yourself in the shoes of the other. Here is this person writing me an email all the way from northern Pakistan asking me a question, right? Maybe anxious about the answer, not sure if I'll reply. So what is the least I can do is at least acknowledge that message, right? Write back. If I can help, offer my help. If I can give some guidance, give them some guidance. Or if I cannot help, at least acknowledge, thank you, right? But I cannot help much. Even that sometimes is enough. How do you remember that is by placing yourself empathetically into the shoes of this other person and by remembering in your own life the moments when you had to seek help from others, right? If you are in a position of power, right? Most of us forget that. Most of us forget about the people. Most of us even forget those who helped us along the way, right? But the purpose is to remember and create symbols and icons and living, breathing, you know, memories of those instances. So to conclude, I absolutely love what Don Norman says in his Design for 21st Century. You can find the whole uh, lecture on um, Interaction Design website. You might have to pay a little bit for it, but I'll post the link uh, in the description. But overall, absolutely, I agree that designers in his case and academics in my case should try to reach positions of power in the administration where they are decision makers. But when they do that, they have to leave themselves signposts along the way. They have to remember where they came from. They have to constantly be connected to the people, right? And they have to constantly question themselves, am I becoming part of the system? And if they are, then they have to figure out ways of undoing that so that they can stay true to what they thought their mission was, right? These are some of my thoughts. You know, we live in large, powerful systems. They shape our bodies and our consciousness and, and our very souls, right? How do we remain human? How do we remain like people who care about others? How we keep our compassion, our care for the others? I think 
is through these memories and is through constant reminders of what we had planned to do in our lives and learning from the people, learning from your students, from your co-workers, from activists, right? From thinkers everywhere in the world, constantly learning. I hope this was useful to you. Let me know in the comments what you think. I know it's not an educational conversation per se, but I think sometimes we all need these kind of conversations. I think we all need to think about these things, right? And this was one of those days for me. Thank you so much. I hope you're taking care of each other. Please continue to do so. As always, I will now see you next time. Until then, me to you, peace and love.